Shooters, we have an absolute gem for you today. This one was a lot of fun. We bring on Brittany Donaldson, formerly of the Toronto Raptors, and talking a little bit with her experience and what she went through um, as her climb to the NBA was was really something special, and it was a lot of fun. And then understanding more about her role with the Raptors um, and understanding the analytics of everything that goes into the game uh, was a ton of fun to dive into that. And now she's got a new venture, too, that we, we discussed with her that uh, uh, really shows a lot of promise. We think you're really going to enjoy it. Uh, we want to hear your feedback. Let us know what you think of this one, um, and enjoy. As always, shoot or shoot. This episode of the Shooter's Touch is brought to you by Forged Athletics. At Forged Athletics, we connect athletes and or athletes' parents to sports-specific trainers for personal or small group training sessions. You can go to GoForgeAthletics.com to see our list of trainers, to see pricing for those trainers, and get that trainer booked. Again, GoForgeAthletics.com and be forged. I was getting, I was getting a lot of no letters, and I kept some of the letters because it was like motivation for me. I was young in my coaching career. I did know that those guys I was coaching, this was their one opportunity. If you really want the players to like you, just make them better. If I want to keep playing this game, you know, as a job, I, I have to continue to get better at that. You have to figure out a way to carve out some value that you have that you can bring not only to your team, but also your profession. It's really good information, and I pick up little nuggets all the time. For me, it's all about confidence, man. You, you have to have confidence to be a shooter, to be uh, a basketball player in general, and to have success. You, you, it's all about confidence. If they walk a mile in my shoes, then they can ball like I do. But my game different, not the same with it. I travel now, y'all just change, pivot. Well, Brittany, welcome to the Shooter's Touch. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm happy I could finally hop on. Yeah, we're excited to have you. We're excited to get your story. Um, we'll get through all the steps here. Um, but before, where are you coming to us from? Where, where are you currently at? What do you call home? I'm currently in Toronto. Um, this is still my home. <laughs> it's been almost five years now I've been living up here. So um, I, I guess I'm sort of Canadian now, but <laughs> still make it back to the States quite often. Um, still make it back to Iowa pretty often. So, uh, you know, Iowan at heart, but living in Toronto. I love it. That's cool. That uh, definitely, definitely a city that would uh, is on the list of a place I'd like to visit. Um, like to learn a little bit more about. Um, but so when when I say world champion, uh, do you ever have to kind of pinch yourself and take a deep breath and realize that like, hey, I'm a, I'm an NBA world champion. Oh yeah, um, that was almost three years ago, and I'm still sort of processing everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because, yeah, what a whirlwind, um, you know, of a year. And just I, it was only my second year in the league and I was still fairly young. And it was just something I couldn't believe I was a part of, let alone could contribute to um, even in a small way. So definitely, yeah, I'm still pinching myself. I would imagine that's got to be something, too, when you kind of set out um, on this basketball path. And um, we'll talk about your journey and growing up. But uh, to be able to say, you know, you're a world champion has got to be something that uh, is a little surreal. And it'll probably take another three or four years for you to fully grasp 
Um, but, but take us a little bit on that path um, and that journey in which that you guys went on. Obviously, that, that Toronto team, uh, you know, kind of surprised a lot of people. Um, I imagine that you guys in the locker room, you know, maybe not as much as everybody else. Like you kind of saw the pieces that you had there and, and knew if we were able to put everything together that good things could happen. But what do you remember about kind of uh, starting out and then ultimately where you kind of turned the corner and said, hey, we have something really special here? Yeah, well, I have to give um, Toronto's GM and president a lot of credit for that that team, um, Masai, Jerry, Bobby Webster. You know, they were very patient in constructing that roster. Um, there were a lot of really talented players that maybe came across their desk and, you know, they were patient enough to wait and wait for the right deal and ended up getting Kawhi Leonard, which was, uh, you know, they had to give up a lot of talent to get him. And we even, you know, made the decision to... Um, get a new head coach and, you know, get rid of a coach that, that had a really good career and just one coach of the year. And, you know, there's a lot of tough decisions that had to be made, but ultimately our decision makers had the vision um, and executed on it. And um, yeah, you know, I, I think like in the middle of the year, also we made another trade um, and got Marcus all. So there was just a lot of things um, that happened, pieces that came together um, we had a new coach, you know, there's new systems we were implementing. So it was a lot of trust, I think, that year where, you know, we were trusting that uh, everything was going to come together. We might not see results right away, but by the end of the season, um, I mean, we were rolling and everybody was on the same page. And uh, yeah, there was an optimism that filled the organization that um, was was collective, I think. And that was, that was special and unique. And um, at the end of the day, we knew we could do it. Um, I'm not sure anybody else thought we could do it, but uh, definitely within those walls of that organization, we had full belief. So to actually, you know, win the championship and then be on the, the parade bus in a few days, you know, it's like, I can't believe this was happening, but also we definitely knew it could. So that's great. You talk about kind of coming together quickly. Um whether it actually was or not, I'm going to go ahead and say that it had to do with a lot of Iowans uh, in the in the decision making room. Um, obviously, yourself and Nurse and Bjorkren. Um, whether whether or not it's, you guys had just met or had known each other forever, there's some sort of bond that comes with that, and all of a sudden, morals and kind of what you're thinking and philosophy kind of comes together real quick. And so um, that had to have been a neat experience too uh, to be able to kind of have that background and have that piece to kind of you know talk and I'm sure jab a little bit about Iowa and, and your time growing up oh yeah I mean I would make a joke all the time that I think every Iowan that lives in Canada is within the four walls of these build this building yeah. you know so it's like it's very small world um you know people assumed sort of that I had a prior working relationship with with Nick because we both went to northern Iowa you know we, we had all the same circles but honestly I didn't know Nick until I got to the Raptors um, until after I was hired, you know, I wasn't introduced to Nick or even really knew his journey or his path. So just a really small world. But yeah, it was, it was a special experience being able to connect with other people from Iowa um, at that level and let alone in a different country. <laughs> so that is neat. Yeah, I mean, super neat. Uh, obviously, you know how Iowa does too. I mean, we'll claim anybody and everybody. And so on that run, uh, they've definitely picked up a lot of fans along the way that uh, we're excited for what that locker room and ultimately that team was doing. But uh, so you, you spent some time in the Eastern Conference, but I, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think we've been on the on the team we liked growing up. Like, where are we at here? Were you a little torn, you know, a little time in Chicago, a little time in Toronto, but at, our research team tells us you were a Celtic fan growing up. Any truth to that? 
Yeah, that's that news is uh, out there now, I guess. So like I could talk about it. For, yeah, I was a, a Boston fan through and through growing up. My dad, um, you know, sort of uh, raised me into that. He's been a Boston fan pretty much his whole life. Um, so I had a lot of green in my closet when I got to the to the, uh, the Raptors, unfortunately, I had to, you know, switch my wardrobe out. But, you know, it's funny, like once you're a part of an organization, um, sort of all that fandom kind of dies. And now you're just, you know, super loyal to the organization you're working for. But it has been fun, you know, since leaving the NBA almost a year ago. Now I'm kind of switching back to the fan side of, you know, with the NBA and, and watching all the games and all the teams and, and just really appreciating um all of the different teams and not, you know, cheering for one team necessarily, but just um, falling in love with being, being a fan of the game again and just, um, yeah, appreciating the game from different viewpoints. Well, and I, it feels like that's so easy to do with the NBA too. Like if you're a, a true hoop head and you watch it, I mean, that's something too. Like I, I have a tough time saying I have a favorite team. It's like, I like these players. I like these staff. I like this staff. I like this system. I like this, you know, and so it's just fun to be able to flip on any game um, and watch the different styles, uh, the different players. And it, it makes it a lot of fun. And, and like you said, yeah, you grow up a fan and, you know, we kind of have those feelings and, and whatever towards the teams that we grew up liking and rooting for. But uh, I'll tell you, as soon as you're, as soon as you're on the other side, it's real quick to just say, yeah, yeah you know, I, I mean that I, we I was never even truly a part of it. I just watched a lot of games. Like now I'm a part of something bigger um, and that goes right out the window. And so that had to, had to have been a lot of fun though, to, to get an opportunity to go around to some of those venues. Um, Do you have any surreal moments like hey, going to the garden or any of these places where you just, you know, grew up watching and now all of a sudden you're, like looking around and like wow I'm I'm here like this is crazy yeah the garden was one of those moments for sure um but even like being in Boston was was like my dad uh took me to some games growing up and we went to Celtics games all the time whenever they were in Chicago or Minnesota you know and I'd been to Boston before and it was just a really fun special experience so like now actually being at the venue um you know as an employee of the other team <laughs> was was a cool experience and you know my I was able to um, bring my dad on a couple trips as well and he got to go to Boston and I got to bring him onto the floor and you know he he just that was such a special moment for him and I say that I switched my loyalty over but he had a harder time doing that bet, so yeah. you know, he was wearing like the Raptors hat with the Celtic shirt and you know he was a little bit torn um of course he was uh cheering for his daughter but you know he bleeds green at the end of the day so um, yeah, th those were really special experiences um, and ones I never thought I would have. So, you know, I'll cherish them forever. What uh, what era of Celtics are we talking here when you were growing up? So, I mean, I remember watching the Celtics like early 2000s. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, and then it kind of went into the Paul Pierce era. And then when I was yep. like a diehard diehard, it was like, uh, the the Rondo KG uh, Ray Big Allen, three. yeah. Nice. So I fell in love with Rondo as a player. Like I modeled my game after him. I was obsessed with how he played and how he you know saw the game and and thought the game and um, it was like yeah that was my guy and uh, I yeah it just it wasn't just him though. It was, it was everything sort of about the Celtics. I like how they were coached, you know, and then. Um, Brad Stevens took over when I was still at UNI and you know I was just I, I loved his sort of approach to coaching and and the way he um you know he just had really creative um strategy and tactics and ATOs and all of this stuff so um mm -hmm. 
this is just is a lot about that as well. Uh, but yeah, that was sort of the era that I was, you know, all in um, watching yeah. the game, stuff like that. So. that. That's not a bad time to be a Celtics fan. Yeah, honestly, no. one of the, one one of the better times. I, but yeah, um, devastated when uh, they broke that big three up. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was a wreck. Rough few days, yep. Understandable, understandable. But uh, well, hey, that's awesome. That is that is some great stuff. But let's go back, let's go all the way back. So, grew up obviously, as you said, in Iowa, um, in uh, the Sioux City area. Um, so talk to us about uh, childhood, family, um, you know, your neighborhood growing up. You know, what was the what was the um, you know, sports like around there in, in elementary, middle school, high school? Yeah, so grew up in Sioux City, um. I was introduced to basketball at a very young age by my father. Um, he played at Barclay University in Sioux City, Barclay College back in the day. Um, had a pretty successful career there. He's in the Hall of Fame there, and he, he was, you know, had a successful high school career at Sioux City North. He's in the Iowa Hall of Fame um, for high school as well. So, uh, yeah, had a hoop in the driveway. I remember, you know, age of three or four, even just shooting out there with him. Um, had a you know athletic mother as well and she played a bunch of sports and coached me they both coached me growing up so I was immersed in the basketball community pretty quickly and um, you know one thing I really appreciate about where I grew up in Sioux City was there was good basketball everywhere I mean we're talking high school basketball we're talking um, NAI basketball and my dad and my mom would take me to games all the time. It could be men's games, women's games. You know, I was just watching basketball and, and I was able to be exposed to good basketball at a young age. Um, and not to mention, you know, I mean, there's so many uh, br- brilliant basketball minds and trainers in that area. Like, I mean, I have to shout out like BJ Mulder's best shooting camp. Like I was immersed yeah. in that growing up. Um, like. Players like Deb Remedy played at Northwestern College in Orange City. She was, you know, training me in middle school, high school. So I just had like access and exposure to, to really high level basketball minds. Um, so, you know, that's sort of where the passion came from, I think. Uh, it was a combination of my parents, um, you know, and, and not only were they taking me to games, but again, I was watching the NBA, you know, mm-hmm. NBA games on the TV all the time. Um, yeah, so grew up in Sioux City, went to Sioux City North um had a state championship there uh was coached by kirk walker who's very successful there as a high school coach now he's coaching um at a school in omaha the collegiate level um yeah and then had the opportunity to go play uh at northern iowa and yeah had a had a pretty good career but unfortunately i had a bunch of injuries so you know didn't get to play as much as i would have liked but um you know made lasting relationships there still all my best friends <laughs> to this day are, are my teammates from you know playing at northern iowa and um, a lot of good memories even though i you know didn't maybe have the basketball career i'd hoped for due to injury so right good good yeah so um i guess let's go back to Sioux city so um you, know, you mentioned basketball uh, was that the only sport you played growing up or, or was there more no 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 no. i played everything um yeah. I, uh, and I, this is something I firmly believe in. I think kids should play a lot of different things, um, you know, not specialize too early. Um, I was really heavy into softball and volleyball. Um, I played volleyball in high school, considered playing volleyball in college, but ended up going with basketball. <laughs> um, I, you know, I golfed, I ran track, you know, there's a lot of things I did. I, I tried pretty much everything. I didn't love everything, you know, but I, yeah. I tried everything. I was, 
I loved playing. I loved going out at recess and playing football with the guys. You know, was, I, was, I loved competing. I loved playing. So, um, yeah, I played a lot of different sports, that's for sure. Nice. Yeah, we, I mean, we talk about it all the time on here. You know, if, uh, if you play other sports, you as an individual have the opportunity to learn how to be, you know, uh, a good number two or a good uh, number three, whatever that is, a teammate. Um, and so if nothing else, you know, if we put all the, all the muscles that you use in different sports, it's that, you know, that is one positive to play in that, and, you know, somebody like you who excelled obviously in basketball and sounds like volleyball as well, you know, playing on the golf team when maybe you're not the best golfer or playing softball, maybe not the best softball player, you know, there is, there is some positives in that for sure. That's right. And, and so many skills are transferable, even though you think you might be taking away from your, you know, basketball expertise by going and playing soccer or volleyball like that's not true so many of the skills are so transferable and um if you over specialize in one thing you know there's there's if there's so many studies that have been done that show that that could lead to injury or burnout or whatever so you know highly encouraged um young kids to try as many different things as possible we feel the same we feel the same so um all right so you mentioned you know had a had a lot of things going on um what did the AAU scene look like? What did, you know, recruiting look like when you were, when you were in high school, what AAU team did you play? I'm assuming you played AAU ball. Um, what team you play for? And then, like I said, what was the recruiting like for you? Yeah, that was a pretty intense time. Um, at the time I grew up in Sioux city, like I mentioned, there weren't any AAU teams in the area. So I had to travel, um, either to Lincoln. I, I played on a team out of Lincoln, Nebraska, which is about two, two and a half hour drive one way. So I was driving twice a week, you know, to practice and, and all of that uh, to Lincoln. Um, we were called the Cornhusker Shooting Stars. I believe they're still in operation. Uh, really, really highly competitive team um, out of Lincoln. And then I ended up playing for All Iowa Select um, in high school, uh, which was at the time operating out of Southeast Polk High School. So that's like a three and a half hour drive to practice. Um, wow. So I spent a lot of time on the road. I mean, I can't thank my parents enough for driving me to practice and, and doing all these things for me. So I was able to play on these on these competitive teams and play on these AAU circuits. Um, but yeah, that, that time was crazy. I was starting to be recruited around the end of my freshman year. And then my sophomore year became almost overwhelming. We won the state championship that year. I started getting a little more exposure and um, that's actually what Northern Iowa offered me. Um, and then, yeah, I, you know, it was, it was a lot as a 15, 16 year old <laughs> process. And, um, if I were to go back and go through that again, I would give myself a little more advice now that I've been through it. Um, but they don't really prepare you for that, you know? So I, a passion of mine is to maybe, you know, build resources someday for parents or for athletes going through that process, because it's, it's a lot <laughs> and, uh, mm -hmm. it's a big decision. It's a big decision. And, um, it's, you know, not always fair to have 15, 16, 17 year olds making that big of a decision without the, you know, uh, knowledge that they might need. So, right. yeah, but I, I, I don't know if it's changed much since, um, I know now luckily there's Sioux city AAU teams. So <laughs> I went back home uh, a few weeks ago and, uh, there's like two beautiful facilities in the area now, and there's teams and tournaments coming in and out of there all the time. And I'm like, Oh, finally. Cause yeah, that was that was rough traveling that far to practices and games. And uh, you mean to tell me there was nothing in Omaha even, or no nothing that Omaha did have a lot. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't exactly remember why I chose Lincoln over Omaha, but it's close enough. You know, it's Omaha still another hour and a half drive. So um, 
yeah, but something in the Sioux City area does not exist. And my dad was actually trying to, you know, maybe implement something when I was playing, but it didn't end up working mm-hmm. out. Um, but now, now we got it. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of talent there, a lot of talented coaches there. So, so I'm happy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right. And so you obviously, you obviously mentioned some advice that you would give to your, to your younger self. What are some of those things that you would tell your younger self? About recruiting in particular? Yeah. About being in the recruiting process. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I was at the time just so grateful for any opportunity that would have come to me. I was so overjoyed that Northern Iowa, you know, offered me a scholarship. And there's a lot of pieces as well. Like uh, my AAU coach, who I loved, had just gotten the assistant position there. Um, there was uh, a girl by the name of Jackie Kalen, who was a stud high school player who was at Northern Iowa and I, she could mentor me while I was, so there's like a lot of things that went into the decision. But one thing I didn't do that I wish I would have done was, uh, look at other schools and take the time to evaluate and compare what do I like with what I'm not like, you know, and I think I might have made my decision, you know, almost too quickly. I, I committed very, very early. I was a sophomore in high school and um, not saying I made the wrong decision, but I think it would have been smart of me to um, just see what else was out there, compare and understand maybe what I need as far as fit for me. Um, you know, and, and do that. It's, it's like the same now as, as um, trying to find a job. You know, you often think about like, oh, I hope they like me when they interview me. But you have to think about too, like, well, do, do I like them? Like what questions yeah. do I have for them? And um, does this opportunity fit my needs? You know, so um, sort of the same thing. I, I Same advice I give myself now and when looking for a job, um, I would, you know, have wish to do it that way um, with recruiting and yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of pressure with that decision and mm-hmm. just maybe having more tools to not feel that pressure and, you know, really just take a deep breath and, and have clarity around that decision um, would have been really helpful. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And so we like to ask this question to um, obviously everybody, a lot of our guests who, who have played um, in college and maybe in professionally too, but what was that? Uh, what was that moment? Oh, I'm in college now. Um, was there kind of a, a moment where you're like, oh yeah, this is, this is a little bigger than, than, you know, Sioux City North. Oh, um, yeah, I don't know if there was one moment there, there were many moments. Um, one that I remember was, uh, my incoming freshman year <laughs> I go to campus for the summer to, um, essentially just work out with the team in the summer and get yeah. acclimated. And I didn't have to be there, but I chose to be there. And, um, I remember I was living with Jackie Kalen, who I just mentioned. Um, she was four years older than me, maybe five years older than me. We called her grandma because she was <laughs> she was a red shirt. She stayed in school for six years to feel like a six-year player. Um, she's one of my best friends to this day. I love her, but uh, she was sort of my mentor and she was the one who was, you know, acclimating me to everything and she would take me to the workouts and um, you know, one day she took me to the McLeod Center and Ali Farokamanish was in there working out and and shooting and you know. We all know who Ali is, <laughs> um, but I was a bit like starstruck because I was like, oh my God, that's how, you know, and he ended up like doing a workout with us. I was like, I was just like doing a shooting workout with him. <laughs> and I'm like, I cannot believe this is happening. Like, <laughs> uh, so that was one moment. Um, I don't even know if he would remember that. Probably not. <laughs> but uh, that was one moment. And yeah, I mean, once you get into the grind of um, preseason and your 
you're balancing, you know, 6 a.m. weights with 8 a.m. practice with three classes a day with study table at night with, you know, and you get into that and it's like nothing you've ever experienced mm -hmm. before. And you're on your own and you're learning how to live on your own. Um, there's just a lot that hits you really quickly. And um, I definitely had a few of those moments in my first season and during preseason. Um, but luckily, you know, I had fantastic teammates who um, were so, so, so like vital to my, you know, survival almost um, during that time because, you know, they, they were incredible leaders that just were able to be super supportive to all of us who were going through that. Um, so. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a better memory than mine. Mine, mine was um, in the weight room where we were just lifting or using uh, PVC pipes. And the next day I couldn't even walk because my legs were so sore. Had, had, had never worked out like that in my entire life. But uh, yeah, a great, I mean, shout out to Ali. You know, everybody knows, knows, knows him. Um, great guy, past guest, and, you know, somebody I've known for a long time. Just a, just a great guy. But um, yeah, I guess one thing that, you know, you mentioned was, you know, just kind of getting acclimated to that schedule. Um, you mentioned, um, I mean, you know, being prepared for that, that recruiting process, you know, I, I, I almost wish there was something for those athletes coming in that prepared them for that. Cause I mean, you know, I don't know about you, but my freshman year, my, my grades weren't, weren't the best. You know, I was red shirting. I was getting up at 5am having to sit through math class at 8am and then go into a couple other classes, workouts and study table. Like you said, it's, uh, it's a lot for, for a young adult to go through. Um, and something that, you know, you Honestly, I, I know I wasn't prepared for it um, and, you know, almost obviously wish I, um, I would have been. Yeah, I definitely think, you know, the NCAA could do a better job of, of maybe onboarding the athletes. Um, uh, there's, you know, so many different things that we could do. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I know that we're not alone in that feeling that it's super overwhelming. Um, you know, I, I don't think a lot of athletes feel prepared for that um, and, and understand how to balance it. And um, I think ultimately, you know, it it becomes, you're just like going through the motions and like not able to really um, fully experience it because you're just, you know, in fight or flight mode sometimes. So um, yeah, it, any way we can think about, um, yeah, supporting student athletes in that way is, is definitely a positive. So with everything going on at, at college, um, it seems like it seems like our female guests are usually a little bit better at this than um, than on the male side. But when when did you realize that you know I'm probably not going to get to play basketball the rest of my life? There might have to be something after basketball. Um, did you start thinking coaching? Were you? I know you, obviously you're on the uh, more on the analytic side, and so is it something that it hit you early? Like, or when when did it all of a sudden you start thinking a little bit more? post-college life yeah well it took a doctor telling me I needed to stop playing <laughs> for me to start thinking about that um I I didn't start considering that until very late so I like um, as I mentioned earlier um I had four knee surgeries in college so I was sidelined quite a bit um before that you know I had big aspirations to play professionally, whether that be overseas or whatever, but I, I wanted to hoop, I wanted to play as long as I could. Um, and that is why I kept coming back from my injuries and playing even against <laughs> the advice of professionals. 
Um, and ultimately, by the time I had my fourth one and I had, you know, hardware put in my leg and was told, you know, you're going to need a knee replacement soon. Like I was like, OK, I should be done. So um, it was my senior year, actually, is when that conversation happened. And I had to look myself in the mirror and say, what am I going to do? <laughs> like, what do I like? What am I interested in? And um, yeah, I mean, I don't feel lucky that I was injured in any way, but I, it did help me go through that process before graduation, you know, so where I know a lot of student athletes don't start thinking about those things until they're done. Um, so I just had happened to be studying statistics. Um, I don't know why I chose that major. I was undecided coming into school. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Again, I wanted to play basketball. Um, but I chose uh, statistics and actuarial science to study because I always liked math. And from what I was told, this was a job where like, you know, you don't really have to interact with a lot of people and, you know, I'm pretty introverted. So I'm like, yeah, sounds great. And, <laughs> um, you know, you get paid quite a bit of money. I'm like, cool, sounds great. And um, I ended up really not liking that. I, I didn't like the actuarial sciences side of it. Um, the more I got into it, the more I'm like, I don't really know if this is what I want to do. But on the statistics side, which was a little bit different than the actuarial science side, um, you know, we were asked to do a lot of projects throughout school and I would always gravitate towards sports. I would always want to do a sports project and analyze something um, with sports, whether that's like my own stats that I had or like, uh, you know, an NBA team or, or something like that. So it was actually one of my professors who brought up to me, you know, um, I, I noticed that you always choose sports projects. <laughs> um, did you know that, you know, a lot of teams and organizations are actually looking for um, statistics driven, you know, analytical minded people to work on the team, um, you know, as analysts or engineers or, you know, like this is this is a career option for you. <laughs> and I was like, I had no idea. Um, so I started doing some research and again, this was like end of my senior year. Um, and yeah, I was, you know, I, had heard of Moneyball and I heard of that. Um, but I didn't know exactly where I would fit. Um, but learned that like, even in basketball, this sports analytics sort of movement was happening. And, um, so I just, I mean, I have, I still have the spreadsheet to this day. Like I applied to so many jobs, like baseball football basketball didn't matter media like I didn't care if it had analysts in the title and it was related to sports like I wanted the job so um I didn't have much luck honestly for like six seven eight months um I was working at a call center in Cedar Falls for a while um as a, as a business analyst um you know typical nine to five job and uh finally found this company in Chicago called Stats um, and they were the, the global provider of sports data at the time. Um, like if you're ever watching a baseball game and you see at the end, the graphic comes up, it's like stats brought to you by stats. You know, that was the company that I <laughs> applied to because they were hiring for a, a, an analyst in their basketball department um, for their product, which was called SportView, which is the player tracking uh, data product that the NBA uses now. So anyways, I landed a job at Stats and sort of that's how I got my foot in the door of the sports data analytics world. Um, and yeah, didn't know where that would take me, but took me to the NBA. <laughs> I, I was going to say, we got to give a, do you remember the professor's name? We got to give a quick shout out to the professor I for do. setting me up. I, yes. Yes, uh, Syed Kermani is his name. Um, 
I don't know if he's still there. He probably is, but um, we chatted on LinkedIn every few years, so I might need to reach out to him. And say, uh, that's a that's a big time heads up for him to you know, and even at that point to kind of understand that hey, like because that would have been real early um, in the yeah. process to be able to inform you to kind of hey, take a look at this, and um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of get to impacting young players and all that stuff. But it's it's always awesome to have those those people that are able to kind of give you an idea or plant a seed and sometimes it takes and sometimes it didn't and obviously this situation um, worked out really well and provide a lot of opportunities for you and so um, that that's great that is that is something that's uh, really amazing um, there's always a silver lining what, what do you think from the injuries um, a total hoop head you know always want to be out there always want to be competing now you're on the sideline watching but the way your brain works i imagine you're picking things up you're learning things that you probably wouldn't have learned if you were out there uh in the grind all the time and so what do you think maybe uh a silver lining that came from having an opportunity to uh watch the game from the side um then actually be in there as much as you'd like oh yeah like i i gained a whole new perspective of the game because, um, you know, I, I intentionally would place myself next to our coaches, um, whether it's during practice or games and just like listening on the conversations, I would have meetings with them, um, you know, and it was just, it piqued my interest way more into the strategy side of the operation. Um, I already was a pretty like uh, you know um, what sort of like for, I was a pretty cognitive player. Like I was, undersized and, and I was a point guard. And so I had to sort of, you know, um, have higher IQ in order to, to get by. <laughs> and uh, so I, um, I was already sort of there, but then actually, you know, being placed in the position where I'm actually thinking like a coach um, was a different opportunity for me that I, yeah, I don't know if I would have gone there had I not been injured. Um, and I definitely reflect on that a lot now that I have been a coach and how much maybe those years really helped me or help prepare me for that. Um, yeah, I would never wish injury upon anybody, but like you said, the silver lining, uh, there was definitely that. And I, I did a lot more film work as well during that time because I just, I wanted to do something. Like I, I couldn't be out there, so I wanted to make myself useful. So I, I did watch a lot more film, which also um, really opened my eyes to a whole new you know, perspective of, of how to see the game. Yeah, it's interesting what you can learn, and whether it's whether it's through injury or when you become the transition from player to coach, and you start to see things differently, um, it, that always makes a huge difference. You're like, oh man! And then the unique thing with the injury, you know, like if you're able to come back and you're able to continue to play and have that opportunity, it seems like it's even more beneficial because the coach you see things differently. And you're like, man, why didn't I know this as a player? It's because I didn't get out of my own way, and I was too worried about playing and not worried about like seeing the game or understanding why. Um, you start to understand yeah. why a little bit more because you can't do it. I mean, you're, it's out of your control. Like it, you can't just say, give me the ball, get out of the way. Like, how do I, how do I set these people up and get them in positions to, to make a winning play? So. Right. I just know that with the, the knowledge I have just being a coach or like being sidelined and seeing the game, like if I had legs that worked, like I would be a killer out there these yeah. days. You know. <laughs> but, I, I, I hear you. I was yeah. uh, one, two steps and like my, uh, in my demonstration of things uh, to eighth grade girls, it looks really good. But uh, if I had to go the rest of the way, it's uh, I'd probably pull a hammy or something. So, <laughs> um, so, so talk a little bit about, so you get the job in the job in Chicago. Um, where do, where do we go from there? How, how do we, how do we progress from um, Chicago to ultimately getting an opportunity at the NBA? 
Yeah, so my job in Chicago, um, you know, Stats, the company, you know, they uh, were a provider for many different sports globally. Um, I happened to get a job in the basketball department um, working with their their sport view product is what it was called. And it was the player tracking cameras that were installed in every NBA arena um, back in like 2011, I believe the year was or around that time. Um, so I essentially was operating as um, like a third party consultant to NBA teams who were interested in gathering player tracking data and using that um, at the time. Now it's much different, but at the time, um, not a lot of NBA teams had uh, full analytics staffers on staff, like internally. Um, they didn't have the resources or whatever it was. So, you know, there were only a few teams that actually had analytics people on the staff. So um, the remainder of the teams would come to stats and sort of use us as their analytics team. And so I would be the one building the custom reports that they would request um, with the data that we had. And that way, you know, so my clients essentially were all the NBA teams. So I made a lot of great connections that way. Um, and so I did that work for two years. And my boss, who I have to give a shout out to, Charlie Rolf, he was the best. Um, he was constantly asking me, you know, where do you want to go? What are your aspirations? Do you want to work for a team someday? And eventually the answer was yes to that. I was like, yeah, I think I do. You know, I think I do miss being around a team. I, I do think I can contribute to a team. Um, and he uh, you know, sent an email to every single NBA team um, with my name on it and said, I'm sending Brittany to summer league. Here's her number. If you guys are looking to hire a, an analyst um, or have a position open, um, he, he, you know, recommended me and um, just so happened the Raptors were looking for somebody that summer. So I ended up meeting with uh, their head of analytics in Vegas at summer league. And then I ended up meeting with Masai as well. And Went up to Toronto a couple months later for a formal interview and, and ended up getting the job. And it's yeah, again, it happened pretty quickly. And you know, it was not something I was expecting to happen necessarily, but um, you know, obviously there's preparation involved and preparation met opportunity, but there was also just a lot of luck in having an incredible boss and support system and people who were willing to help get me to where I wanted to go. Wow, that's yeah, that's a really neat story. And on a way, and like you said, how things can happen so quick too. Like you said, I mean, you're working, um, you're, you're connecting, networking, maybe you knew a little bit of what you were doing, but maybe it's just part of the job. And then one thing leads to a next. And um, like you said, preparation and being prepared. And then when opportunity comes, being able to take it. And so that's really neat. So the, part of the, um, what was the system called that you were working for or, or consulting with? So it was called sport view. Now it's second spectrum. Um, okay. And so in every NBA arena, there are cameras set up that uh, track the movement of the players and the ball and the referees, even at like a crazy high speed. So at the end of a game, you have um, data on like positional data, like literally X, Y coordinate, you know, data. Um, if the court was a graph, the players are X, yep. Y coordinates. Um, for every player, every 25, every 25th of a second, for every second of the game. So that's like an immense amount of data. And with that data, you can do really cool analysis and, and teams just eat this. At this point, teams are really sophisticated with this and they can do really, really cool analysis with it. Um, so at the time, Sport View, which 
was Stats' product, had the contract with the NBA. And then um, actually right when I left and went to the Raptors, the NBA signed a new contract with Second Spectrum, a new company, um, and now it's Second Spectrum. So it's the same same um, technology, but just a different company. And um, yeah, so all the a lot of the stats you even see on NBA.com um, can come from Second Spectrum, but mainly the data is used by by teams. Right. Yeah, that's neat. And so it, is it to the point now where um, they're using this in practice too? Are the NBA teams, are their practice facilities are suited with a lot of that? So the, the cameras are not in the practice facilities, um, but there are other technologies that are used in practice facilities. Have you heard of Noalytics? Yep. Um, so a lot of NBA teams have like the NOAA system set up. So every shot that's taken in the gym, you have the trajectory of the arc and how short or long or left or right it was. Um, and that that technology is pretty cool because it's it uses facial recognition. So um, it you don't even need to like, you know, go in and input a player and say, OK, you know, Mark Gasol shooting now. And then, you know, it, it just yeah. detects your face, which is really cool. Um, so the the second spectrum data is um, is just used for games. Um, so there are some shortfalls to that. Obviously, when you're talking about player development, and maybe you don't have, maybe you have some players who don't get a lot of game minutes. So like, how are you evaluating them from a, a data standpoint? That's still an ongoing problem that we're trying to solve. Um, so you know, but but it does provide an immense amount of information that we didn't previously have to both coaching staff and front office. Um, on players yeah that's amazing it's so so interesting um especially for us on this side to kind of hear a little bit about i i've seen it wasn't the NOAA system but it was a, a system similar um that actually the local uh g league the wolves have in their facility i saw a, a presentation of that and how that worked that this was a couple of years ago so it was still like you had to be wearing the sensor or whatever to know um but it sounds like the technology as it always does is advanced um, along, but it's so interesting to see, like you said, because you got the arc of, on the ball and, you know, the, the, the rate in which the players are, and then they're able to get, um, you know, hot and cold spots in, in practice and in drills. And so now everything um, is like, like our whole world is data driven and be like, Hey, here's where you're getting most of your shots in gameplay. And here's where, you know, you're, you're shooting a higher percentage. And so it's super neat um, to be able to use that information and, gotta be just fascinating for you to be on, on that side too to kind of learn and, and understand what's going on but um so then when you get to toronto what do you remember um you accept a job you get to toronto uh you kind of walk into the facility or wherever what what was the moment when you, it kind of hits you that you're in the nba oh man um i mean the facility going up for my interview and just walking into the practice facility was just like well, you know, cause like I was just geeking out the whole time. Like this is, it was a brand new facility at the time. So it's just this beautiful, like state of the art. All the offices have windows, like right to the core. I'm like, I can literally sit at my desk and like watch practice. Like this is, this is so cool. You know, um, I just spent two years like in a cubicle. And so uh, it was just, I, I could not believe that that was a real job. I just was like, this is real, like, you know? Um, and I, I ended up getting there about a week before training camp started. So players were just starting to sort of filter in. Um, and so I was getting introduced to a lot of the newer players that like, I didn't even know cause they were younger and new. And, and, um, that was, that was cool. Just this like 
be around NBA players. And then I remember one day I walk up to go get breakfast because that's the best perk of working in the NBA. Nobody talks about this is the chef at the practice facility, like clutch, like you get, you get breakfast, lunch, and dinner served to you. And it's like incredible food. It's healthy. It's, it's amazing. That is okay. Being in the NBA is cool, but like, that was like the perk. (laughs) So um, I go upstairs to get breakfast and DeMar DeRozan's just chilling at a table eating breakfast by himself and I'm just like that's DeMar DeRozan okay that's him and you know I'm even like I, I like panicked and I like grabbed the coffee and went back downstairs and I was like I told my boss I'm like I think DeMar is here and he's like yeah he's he's on our team you know I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like oh okay so all right yeah that's just normal it's normal right so okay <laughs> um and it didn't take like honestly, it didn't take long. A couple of weeks in, it was normal because you are around these people, um, and you don't see them as these like glorified superstars anymore. You're you're just working with them. Um, but yeah, that was definitely it. Took a little bit of like adjusting. <laughs> it's like okay, I watch this guy on TV. He's right in front of me eating some bananas. Uh, I'm gonna go <laughs> process it. Yeah. That's great. Well, so now we're we're essentially putting Ali and Demar Derozan on the same plateau, right. then, right? Because that's like yeah, your well, like they were. Yeah. Welcome, welcome to the next level. Here's here's Ali, or here's Demar. Like that's that's awesome. But but it's funny too because kind of coming full circle, we talk about the fandom side of it. It's those are the moments like you see that you watch I watched him on tv and now all of a sudden we're here and like you, it kind of takes a minute to to register and then to your point eventually you kind of get to the point you're like oh man like these people are a lot like me they're they're good people like they're cool to be around they can have the same interests as me they like the same foods whatever it is and so that that barrier kind of comes down a little bit and you're like man this is this is just just cool and so once you once you kind of got settled in then um what would you say was your favorite part of the job? What was it that you were like, oh man, I, I want to, I wish, I wish I could just do this all the time. Cause there's obviously every job, there's a few things that, you know, kind of gets a little bit of a rat race, but what was your favorite part about what you had the opportunity to do? Um, well, if we're talking about the front office, because I worked two, two years in the front office and then two years on the coaching staff. Um, and they were very different experiences, very different jobs. Um, but in the front office, uh, and this is like kind of a dumb thing, but I really do miss, um, we had a group chat with just a lot of the, you know, our, our front office is pretty small, um, 10, 15 people, and just a running group chat of um, like hoops talk, like we're watching other games, you know, we, we see the the drama on Twitter, like whatever it is, um, just NBA fandom basically, but I'm just having a conversation about it with my coworkers, um, you know, every day, every night, like whenever something was relevant. Um, I miss that, you know, it's like a community of people that I didn't have up until then that I could just like, oh, like I can talk about this with people now, people that I see every day and hang out with every day and work with. And um, that was that was really cool. Um, Cause I don't know if you guys experienced this, like growing up in Iowa, like there are NBA fans in different pockets, but it's not, you know, it's different than, um, you know, growing up in a city that had an NBA team or whatever, like sometimes I felt like alienated by being such an NBA fan. And there's a lot of college fans, right, in Iowa. And that's yep. um, probably the more dominant, you know, area of fandom. But NBA was kind of like, not everybody watched it or, or loved it as much as I did. So um, that was really cool. I loved that. Yeah, it's so funny because that uh, different though, because uh, Adam and I and our group chats and stuff, we, you know, we do the same thing over high school, basketball, college, NBA, whatever it is. Um, the only difference is that um, it, 
it isn't something that we're getting paid to do. It's a, it's a distraction. Right. It's pulling, <laughs> it's pulling us away from what we're supposed to be doing. So when you're, when you're sitting there working and like, Hey, this is part of work, like, Oh, hold on. Did you, did you guys just see that? Or I, I have to watch this game tonight. I mean, this is like, that's the part of it where it's like, wow, that, that, uh, that would be a lot of fun. But uh, so then transitioning out of the, the front office down to um, the coaching staff, what, uh, what was that change like for you? Um, and, and what do you kind of remember about that transition? Yeah, so when I was in the front office working as a data analyst, um, I was supporting both the front office and the coaching staff. So I'd say like 30% of my work was for front office, you know, especially around the draft. I was doing a lot of support there, um, free agency, all of those things. But I was predominantly providing our coaching staff with data-driven recommendations um, for upcoming opponents or even player development or you know, self-assessment. How are we doing? How do we stack up against other teams in the league? Um, and so through that, I was able to, um, you know, make good relationships, connections with the coaching staff, even with some of the players, um, a couple of people on the coach, coaching staff recognized like, oh yeah, she played high level basketball. Like she kind of knows her stuff. Cause I think, uh, you know, they were used to, or a lot of people who work in a technical role or, a, you know, a data role don't have high level experience maybe playing the sport or being in the sport. So I was kind of like an anomaly and they're like, oh wait, like you like played, played. And I'm like, yeah, you know? <laughs> so they would, uh, I have to give, you know, his name's Jim San and, and Jamma Malalela, who's actually on the Golden State Warriors staff now and they're killing it. Um, they invited me to start coming to practices and workouts and just help out, just be around rebound, like whatever they needed. Um, and that's when I started catching the the bug that I was like, I want to be on the court, you know, <laughs> like I, this is where I want to be. This is where I'm meant to be. Um, and before that, honestly, I'd never considered coaching realistically. Like I never, um, I never saw it as something I'd want to do. Maybe it was because I never saw somebody in the NBA, like, like me, like coaching, like it wasn't a visible option for me. Um, but also I just, I don't know, like I never thought to myself um, that I wanted to coach. So that was the first time uh, I sort of started visualizing myself like as a coach. And, um, you know, so for two years I was, I was doing my data analyst work, but I was present around on the court um, at practices in a couple meetings, you know, coaches meetings. So when we won the championship in 2019, um, a lot of our coaches either went to other jobs because they were promoted, you know, there was just a lot of shuffling that happened on our coaching staff. Um, for good reason. And uh, there were a few positions open. And um, yeah, Bobby and Masai and Nick ultimately uh, got together and, and offered me the position to move over to the coaching staff. Um, Nick valued having, you know, a data-driven mind on his bench. Um, that wasn't something new. Um, and there happened to just be that position open. So I was like, I can't say no to that. I don't know if I'm ready for this. I don't know if I want to do this. But uh, I got to do it. And so, yeah, I made the transition. Um, and honestly, like, I'm so happy I did. It was, uh, yeah, it was, I learned so much in, in such a short period of time, you know, I was coaching there for two years, but I, I did, you know, a little bit of player development, uh, scouting. Um, I spent even some time in the G league. I, I spent two months in the G league bubble during that weird COVID season when the Raptors moved down to Tampa and there was like all this stuff we were trying to figure out. I ended up actually, going to the G League bubble and got like front bench coaching experience. So I'm, you know, making in-game decisions. And so I got 
a lot of different experiences in a short period of time. And, um, you know, it was, it was a wild ride. It was a very different change from like the front office because I'm not traveling in the front office. It's like more, more chill. You know, you go home at five o'clock and, you know, and, in the coaching world, that's just not the case. So, um, as you know, you're on the road all the time. You're in the gym super late. Um, you're watching films super late. It's just very, very different. So that was an adjustment, but I adjusted. And uh, yeah, I just I feel really grateful that you know my four years there, I got to see how an organization operates from many different angles. Like I don't I don't think a lot of people get that opportunity. And so, um, yeah, I'm still reflecting on that and, and maybe you know evaluating like. Where would I fit in an organization like in, I don't know, I think organizations going forward are going to want more people sort of like me that that have this multifaceted sort of viewpoint or skill set. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I'm really grateful that I was able to have those opportunities. Yeah, that's super neat that uh, um, having having all those perspectives, you know, like you said, the, the analytical background, um, the playing background, uh, just a, a different eye and being able to uh, see the game at all those different different levels. Again, going back to, to to college and the knee injury and having to adjust and figure it out and learn this side and now you know put it into action um, is super neat. And I can I can see why you were successful and, and so valuable in that process. Um, so what was life on the road like? Um, that's something that obviously you know, I haven't had an opportunity to talk with a ton of people, but uh, life on the road, NBA, uh, city to city, is it, you ever, you kind of get caught up, has there ever been, wake up and what city, what city are we in? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, I mean, it's a balance, right? Like, like, like some, some road trips are wonderful because you're on the West Coast for two weeks and you get to spend four days in LA and like, you know, have a couple off days in San Francisco. And, um, but most of it is like, you're on a plane every other day, um, you know, and, and you don't, I mean, in the front office, if you're traveling, you get quite a bit of downtime on the road. On the coaching staff, um, not so much because you're either, you know, breaking down the game you just played or preparing for the next game you have in two days or, um, preparing the practice you have in the morning or, 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 you know, I, I spent most of my time on the player development side. And so I was, you know, working with the guys that maybe didn't get a lot of minutes in the game. So I would, you know, go through the whole game day, but then the next day when everybody had their day off, I would be in the gym with the guys who didn't play. So it was really like <laughs> no days off. Um, and yeah, it's a grind. Like it really is. Uh, but you know, if you love it enough and, and I, never got tired of going to the gym and, and getting shots up with guys or whatever. Um, so I, yeah, it was, it was an adjustment, like being on the road and, and finding a routine was difficult. I found, um, especially somebody like, I like, I'm more of a structured person after coming through college athletics where like everything is set up for you. Like, this is what time you need to be at the weight room. This is what time now you have to kind of create your own schedule and say, okay, I have to work out before I go here. I have to eat, you know? And, um, so that was, that was difficult, um, but an adjustment and, uh, yeah, it's just like, once you're in it, you're in it and, uh, it's 82 games. Like that's such a long season. Um, so you have to really find ways to stay energized, get your sleep, you know, stay healthy and, and still find, um, the energy to get your work done. No, that uh, yeah, like you said, there definitely be a lot of positives um, and and a few things like anything when you're out on the road and you're away from home, 
Um, it's tough to get in that routine and to kind of keep, keep the focus and keep the mind right. But uh, when you have a chef like that around, it's got to help a little bit uh, on the eating side. Did you get to the point where like you're able to now start requesting some things like, Hey, can I have that? Uh, can I have this or that? Oh yeah. You know how, like you, you figure out who you need to have a good relationship with. Like, yep. like when I was in Northern Iowa, I always knew who had the keys to the gym. If I wanted to go late, you know, so, so like yep. having a relationship with the chef is like the number one thing. Cause if you, <laughs> if you have a great relationship with the chef, that's right. You can start putting uh requests in, you know, and, and get ahead, get the menu ahead of time, stuff like that. So um, I was always uh, asking if I could take leftovers home and he was always super cool about that so um, yeah we were taken care of that's for sure that's great that's good um, so from uh from from a draft um, standpoint and looking at the draft and trying to figure out um, who and where I mean this has always got to be one of the parts that um I, I'm sure that your your data and your information comes in pretty heavily because you don't have the opportunity to to see these guys in practice every day or or know kind of where they're at. I mean, obviously you watch film and, and are able to break it down. But I would also imagine that, at, you know, at the collegiate level, um, you don't have the same data and the same information um, from these guys. You know, you're obviously able to put them through some workouts and able to do some of that stuff through the, the combine process and stuff. But uh, what's draft like? I, I, it's always something that uh, is always fascinated me as far as the development side um, and trying to grade players um, the, you know, the, the information that's provided and, and then ultimately make the, the best fit for your organization. Yeah, the draft is is incredibly difficult. You know, it's incredibly difficult to predict how good a guy is going to be in five years or, or you know, there, there are so many factors you just can't predict, but we're trying our best. And the more information we have, um, hopefully the more losses we can like minimize because we're never going to get it 100% right, right? So um, the goal is to sort of like hedge our bets, <laughs> like, uh, you know, have as much uh, data-driven recommendation as possible. Um, so yeah, I mean, in that room, um, you have varying like sectors of expertise. So you have the scouts who have been out on the road and watching these players, you know, all year and, um, in person, um, taking notes, like putting the reports together. You have people on the data side who are just scouring over all the data we can find on these players. And, and, you know, we're like scraping information off the website, it, like anything we can find and putting together some sort of model to evaluate them from an on-court perspective. Um, and then, you know, a lot of NBA teams even have um, people dedicated now towards Intel. So just figuring out, um, you know, what is this guy like? Uh, what do his teammates like him? What do his coaches say about him? What's his family life like? Um, has he ever had to like overcome something in his life? But, you know, there are like these people dedicated to just finding this information. Then you have the medical staff who's diagnosing, you know, their injury history and getting all their medical records. And it's just so much to weigh in a decision, right? And, and I think a lot of NBA teams are getting much better at doing it, but it's hard. It's so much information, right? And it's at the end of the day, you have to make a decision. And, um, and then you have to evaluate like, okay, so this player needs to develop an X, Y, and Z. Like, how quickly can we develop those skills? Do we have the resources to develop those skills? Like if this player doesn't get actual game minutes, how do we dedicate time towards these skills and how do we evaluate his progress over time? And so 
um, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a big decision. Um, you know, a lot of teams um, are trying to solve the same problem. Um, I don't think anybody's figured it out yet because it's, it's very, very difficult. Um, but like you said, we're trying to just get as much information as possible, but also um, as much useful information as possible. And, you know, one thing I've observed that I don't know we're collecting like great data on is these sort of like intangible skills, like how competitive is a guy? How, what's his work ethic? You know, what's his basketball IQ? Um, these things are hard to objectively measure and they're important as we know, but how important, I don't know, like when you weigh it against raw talent or physical attributes or, so um, it's a huge project. It's a huge project, but just being in that room and listening to all the perspectives um, was a really cool experience and, and understanding like what goes into those decisions. Um, it's a lot, <laughs> it's a lot. It's, yeah, I can't even imagine. Um, well, maybe off on the back of that, um, you mentioned the trades um, that, that you were maybe, you know, on the, um, on the staff for, uh, you know, Kawhi and Mark. Um, how much, how much of those trades are, you know, I mean, like data driven, I mean, it, you have all the data here and then the coach or the ownership just looks at it and says, yeah, let's do this. Um, or what, what do those, what do those trades look like before they're made? Yeah, I think it depends on the situation. I think some trades are, um, you know, you have months to decide whether or not you want to do it. And some trades come across your desk and like, like the Marcus Hall one and was made, you know, 10 minutes before the trade deadline. <laughs> so um, I think you're constantly trying to evaluate the potential scenarios, um, which is hard, but you, you know, you draw out all the potential scenarios and evaluate. Um, yeah, and I would say, at least with the Raptors, you know, uh, data-driven recommendations did play a part in, in the, the, you know, trade decision-making. Um, I'm not saying it was the only part it played, you know, like, like there was a lot of other uh, variables, as I mentioned before, but yeah, we had leaders that valued that information. Um, for instance, the, the Marcus Gasol trade, um, you know, we were able to, to pinpoint and evaluate like how many opportunities he was able to create, not just for himself, but for others um, and how, you know, we were able to measure that up against what we had and, um, you know, talk to our head coach about what, you know, the best fit for our system is and what, you know, a center position, an ideal center would look like in his system. Um, and it was one that would create opportunities for others and, and not just, you know, by passing whatever, but, but screening and rebounding and like all these other things. Um, and we are able to actually evaluate that and, and say like, hey, Mark is one of the best in the league at this, you know? And so that, that was taken um, as valuable information that went into eventually uh, trading for him. So, yeah, it does. It does play a role. I think it's playing a, a larger role every year. Um, but it takes decision makers that are, you know, open to that sort of recommendation and um, see it as helpful and not as a threat. You know, so because uh, there are some people who still sort of have resistance to that sort of suggestion, um, and we're trying to change that narrative um, and, and say, you know, we're here to help you and support you and and not, you know, be a threat or uh, anything like that. Yeah, that is super interesting. That's super interesting. Um, all right. So what are you up to these days? Um, obviously, obviously, as you said, you know, we know where you're at. Um, what is the, what's the job these days? What are you, what are you doing? Yeah. So about, uh, it was about September of last year. Um, I was able to connect with 
with two other guys um, who had a similar sort of vision that I was thinking of for a while. Um, and we, we ended up co-founding a youth sports startup. Um, and we are based in Austin, Texas right now um, in the middle of our first season, but we're called Strata Athletics. And I'm not saying we're the anti-AAU, but um, we are... <laughs> We are really trying to change the youth sports landscape because um, it's really become over the years like hyper competitive, um, you know, extremely expensive for, for kids to even play sports. Um, and we really believe that a lot of programs are missing out on like true development for kids. Um, and, and it's, you know, we're, we're shifting the focus away from wins and losses and back to growth and development and learning and fun. Most importantly, we want sports to be fun. Um, so it's, it's been a bit of a passion project. Um, I've had a lot of fun working on it. Um, we're, you know, really trying to incentivize and even measure at some point, um, intangible growth. So, you know, can we incentivize, um, leadership and communication and, you know, how well you respond to mistakes and turnovers and missed shots and all of these things, um, because we believe that, you know, ultimately sports are going to equip you with the tools that you're going to take throughout your life. And so um, if we can keep youth in sport, unfortunately, like 70% of youth are dropping out of sport by the time they reach high school at this, at this time. So we're trying to keep youth in sports, keep it fun, um, keep them engaged and ensure that they're, they're learning and developing and remove that sort of pressure um, to perform or win, you know. So it's been fun. I think our, our group is uh, having a lot of fun. I think they're learning and um, we hope to, to grow um, from this year, but we're, we're learning a lot. It's a startup, you know, there's a lot of things you got to figure out, iron out, but um, learning a lot of new skills, that's for sure. That's great, that's great. So is this like, um, is like a league? Is this just practices or, or what is this? So it's like a 10 week program. Um, it's, it's more of an intramural league. It is a league. Gotcha. You are playing games every week, but you're also having practices. We call them skill sessions every week. Um, but you're not going around and playing in tournaments. Um, it's all sort of in-house. We call it like a learning lab. <laughs> um, so you are, you know, three days a week in the gym. Um, two of those days, you're doing more small-sided games and, and gamified drills. And then one of the days, you're actually playing five-on-five. Five. Awesome. Awesome. Sounds great. That's how much uh, influence does what the Euro uh, and understanding the Euro game, because they obviously um, kind of take that perspective a little bit more than we we've adopted here. And so did that have any influence on, on the vision and what you guys are trying to do? Yes, absolutely. Um, we actually spoke with a few, you know, one, one gentleman who works at FC Barcelona and is their head of development for their whole program. Um, Europe does a really great job of, uh, creating long-term athlete development models. So they, you know, they don't just, uh, they keep the same group of athletes from when they're 10 to when they're 18, you know what I mean? In the same club with the same terminology, the same coaches. Um, so they're able to actually see long-term development over time where, you know, in North America, that's just not the case. You're going from different team to different team to different team to different coach to different coach um, every season, let alone every year. So um, it's really hard to understand, like, did what you, if you're a coach, like, did, did what you do with this group of eight-year-olds, how did that affect them along their journey? And when they're 10 or 11, like, did they take any of those skills with them? Um, it's hard to evaluate that. So 
yes, absolutely. We uh, we stole something from the Euro model, that's for sure. Well, and two, I feel like, you know, it's obviously good to play games and to have that competition, but like our, our ratios are, you know, you practice twice a week and you play six games a weekend. Um, you know, you get to the end of the, you get to the end of the year and you're like, okay, you know, we had 60, 60 practices and 90 games, um, you know, whereas like on, on the Euro side of things, it'd be the exact opposite. Like we would practice 90 times to be prepared for 60 games. Um, and I think at the youth level, there's definitely something to be said about that. And like you said, developing the skills um, to be able to be ready to perform. It feels like we just kind of roll the ball out and say go. And then it's a sink or swim model at that point. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and coaching has such a big part, you know, a play in that. And um, it's, you know, the Europe model as well. What they do is, you know, the top of the triangle in the United States is like the professional basketball players, like all the best coaches like go there, but really like, 90% of people who play sports are in the bottom of the triangle where the, where the youth are and, you know, there aren't coaches there. And so um, we're also, we have a mission to sort of change the narrative of what it means to be a youth coach and, um, you know, sort of validate that job as like a real job that you, you need real training for and you need to take seriously and, and similar to being an educator. Um, so, you know, we have a wonderful group of coaches, um, and I think that's like the, the difference maker, honestly, with youth sports. Yeah. And, and, and I've said it before that, you know, you, if, if we're specifically talking about just AAU and it's the same with youth basketball, you know, below AAU basketball, you know, the amount of teams we have in AAU, there's, there's zero chance you can find a good coach for all those teams. Um, and you, you have different reasons, you know, sometimes it's just, Hey, we need a coach. So, you know, a parent volunteers, which is, which is great. Um, however, you mentioned it before equipping those coaches with some type of learning, some type of training on how to increase the, you know, effectiveness of this practice or this game, um, is a definite, is a definite, I think, miss on, on a lot of the youth, youth, youth sports these days. So, um, you know, that's awesome. I'm, I'm super excited to, you know, follow along with, with that, um, and, you know, help out any way we can here too. So, um, that is, that is really awesome. And did you say, um, uh, for jump on, you just opened, so you have one in Toronto and then now also in Austin or where are you guys all at? We don't have, um, a location in Toronto yet. We're just in Austin. So one of my business partners lives in Austin, has five kids going through the youth sports, you know, uh, system right now. So, um, we're just in Austin right now, but we do plan to expand and grow and, um, and scale out at some point. Cool. Very cool. Very cool. Um, well, Hey, we've kept you long enough here, Brittany. This has been, this has been super, super awesome to learn more about this, but, uh, we, we, we like to end our podcast episodes with a little section we call rapid fire. Um, Brian's going to hit you with a couple questions, some about hoops, some not, and uh, you just tell us what comes to your head. All right. All right. You ready? Yeah. So, so we usually lead, um, we usually lead with the best venue. Um, I'm still going to ask it. I still want to know. We, I know we talked a little bit about the garden and that, that experience, but uh, so best road venue, I'm going to give you a cop out so you don't have to um, say Toronto, but best road venue that maybe is a little different or unique that you enjoyed going to. That one's tough. I mean, it was hard to beat um, 
LA at the Lakers. They changed it. So we had back-to-back games, Clippers, Lakers. It's the same venue. It's in the Stable Center now. Crypto, crypto. Uh, crypto, Crypto.com center. Um, It's still the same, folks. It's still the same. (laughs) They they changed the lighting and the the banners and everything. And it's such a different experience. And um, for the Lakers game, it just seemed so cool. Like they have the way they do the lighting. It's like a spotlight on the court kind of. And like the way they they show the light of like all the championship banners. And like, that was, that was really cool. I I wasn't expecting that sort of drastic change from night one to night two. Um, So I might have to say LA, but I also might be biased because that was a game my dad was there. So it was like an extra sentimental moment for me. Um, So, but that's, that's top of my list. I don't know if it's my favorite. I'd have to think about that, but top of my list for sure. I like it. That's a good one. What about, what about high school? Let's, let's talk Sioux city area. Was there a visiting gym that you're like, Oh man, I love going, I love going to that gym. I loved, well, so, uh, Healan was in Sioux City. My dad actually coaches for the Healan girls team now. Okay. Um, kind of funny. Was, Very cool. Yeah. Uh, so we used to play in what they called the pit. Now they have a new gym and a school and everything down the road. But uh, it was just kind of this dark dungeony gym and it got super loud and it was pretty small. So um, and it was a rival school. So it, it was a tough environment, but I loved I loved playing in there for some reason. That's good. I like that one. It's a, it's a good one. Um, was there, I'm trying to figure out how I want to word this. I don't want to, don't want to put you totally on the spot here, but a, a fan base when you guys were on the road that uh, was maybe uh, less desirable than some of the other fan bases. <laughs> uh, there were a few. Yeah. Um, man, I have to, I mean, I mean, Philly is, is one of them. That's, that's one of yeah. the number one. I was just, I was just going to say Philly, that. I feel oh, like Philadelphia yeah. would probably be one of those. <laughs> Honestly, the surprising one was, uh, was Utah. I was, yep. I was mm-hmm. not surprised or I was surprised that, you know, and it was like, uh, like even one of our coaches, I got into it with one of the fans at some point. <laughs> I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> you know, like, you guys are supposed to be nice people. Um, yeah, those are the two that come to mind. Um, I think a lot of people would say Boston, but for some reason, I just can't. You can't come go out that yeah. I, like I might be one of those people. <laughs> we get it. <laughs> yeah, but, but those are two that come to mind. Well, that's good because that's, I mean, that from an outsider's perspective, those are the ones we hear. Like, honestly, you know, you hear Philly, you hear, you hear Boston, New York, and Utah are honestly probably the four that you kind of. You know, just have just come with a, a little bit of a reputation, which is fine too. I mean, you got to have that. Um, all right, so we talked a little bit about favorites growing up. Um, big Rondo fan, big three with the Celtics. But uh, in your mind, who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Oh, we're having this conversation. Uh, <laughs> oh man. Uh. So in the whole like MJ LeBron debate, I was always on the MJ side. I don't know, honestly, once LeBron retires, I might have to reevaluate that because gotta give the guy respect. Um, I think right now I'd still say MJ. Like it. Yeah. 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 It's like, there's longevity. I mean, there's going to be a lot to be said um, when LeBron's done to kind of take a look at it and it's hard to compare arrows, but uh, what about on the women's side? Is that was, is there, who, who would you say be the, the goat of the women's game? Oh, there's so many. I mean, Diana, uh, Sue Bird. um, I mean, Cheryl swoops is up there. I mean, there's so many, Mm -hmm. Um, but I, 
I love Sue Bird. I can't describe to you how much I love Sue Bird. And I'm so thrilled that she's coming back and playing this year. Diana too, they're both coming back and playing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny. I didn't get starstruck a lot in the NBA, like aside from like the first couple weeks in the league where everything's new, you know, but I'd see these guys all the time and I didn't really get starstruck. But like I saw Sue Bird at the NBA All-Star Game in 2020 and almost passed out. Like I was That's like, awesome. <laughs> yeah, so um, she she is my personal goat. I don't know oh if she's, she's up there though. Like she's, she she's actually in the conversation. Yep. Yeah, uh, and that show that her and uh, Tarasi did for the Final Four or whatever. Oh, oh man, I was yep. I, it was must see TV. I was like, this are they? They're gonna do this again? Great! Like that was so much fun. Um, the, those two are great. That was a really good insight too. I I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, all right, uh, Cedar Falls Day. When we ask everybody that has, I mean, if, I think if you've driven through Cedar Falls, we ask this question: um, <laughs> peppers or mulligans? Oh, mulligans. Yes, I like it. Gosh. Yeah, I was uh, I was a frequent mulligans pizza eater back in the day. I'll we'll have to go mulligans. The honey on the crust, like you can't beat that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. It's it's funny because everybody in Sierra Falls likes one or the other more. There's never somebody that's like, ah, whatever. It's it's whatever we do with those. It's one or the other. Very polarized, huh? It is. is. And I think we probably, it leans a little peppers. If you can't tell, Adam's a peppers, I'm a mulligan. So we're kind of split on it. Um, And so we're catching up though. Uh, We got a few few on the mulligan side, so we'll take them as they come. All right. uh, We talked a little bit about Toronto and the lead, but uh, once Adam and I finally get an opportunity to make a trip up there, where do we got to go to eat in Toronto? Where's where's like the spot? Um, where's, Where's your favorite spot or the place that you just have to go to? I mean, there's not just like one spot because the cuisine here is so diverse. Like, it's like, do you like Italian? Do you like Vietnamese food? Do you like Jamaican food? Like they have everything. So um, it's hard for me to choose just one spot. Um, honestly, it's probably like a dive bar or brewery or something. You know, like something, right. I, something I would go to in Iowa because it feels like home. Um, yeah. but if you guys actually do come up here, I'll send you a bunch of recommendations. It's hard to just give you one because there's so many good places here. That's understandable. That sounds, that sounds good. We like that though too. Yep. That's right up. Uh, that's right up our alley. We'll take that bar. Um, favorite favorite basketball shoe. You have an all time favorite hoop shoe. Yeah, Kobe's. Uh, I played in Kobe's my whole high school career. A lot of my college shoes were Kobe's, and they were just the most comfortable shoes um, I ever wore. I didn't even like. I wasn't a big sneakerhead. I, I didn't really care what my shoes looked like, but they were like. Mm-hmm legit the most comfortable shoes and now they're really hard to come by so i'm glad i have a couple pair in the closet <laughs> oh, nice. you, you might have to give damar a call He'll, he's got plenty to yeah, um, yeah for sure to pick from but um what what number was your favorite do you remember i, I know you say you're not a huge sneakerhead but where were we at what what number of kobe's do you remember the best or you pick the, your favorite i honestly don't know i would I, like i'm not at all <laughs> i don't know um I was, so it would have been like, you know, I could give you a year, the rent, it was yeah. like, two like uh, 12-ish, 2010 okay. to 2012, I don't know what yep. shoe that was, but okay. um, I, when I say I'm not a sneakerhead, like, I'm not a sneakerhead. <laughs> <laughs> that had to be, because, I, I mean, probably five, six are the two most popular, um, and the Kobe sixes are, like, my favorite, I mean, those you mentioned comfort-wise. Like I remember I was a little bit of a holdout on the Kobe's because I was such an MJ guy, 
um, growing up and loved the Jordans. And so it took me a while to get the Kobe's and then I got the Kobe sixes and I'm like, damn, what am I doing? Like, these are it. like, the, I should have had like 12 pairs of these by now. So I want to say the ones I wore were fives, the yep. ones right before though. Yeah. I think they were, I don't know if I ever tried the Kobe sixes. I might have to get a hand on some of those. Well, when the Mamacitas, uh, the black and white ones come out, there you go. That'll be your, that'll be your go-to get those sixes and figure that out. But, um, favorite sports movie. Favorite sports movie? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I watch the movie Hoosiers with my dad every year during Christmas time. So it's probably that one. <laughs> it's probably Hoosiers. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a good meeting. That's usually a quick answer on the podcast, but I like that you actually there's a sentiment. Well, I got a list. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got a list. Yeah. You got you got a good one. So, um, all right, two more, and we'll get you out of here. But uh, so, if someone obviously with the shooters touch uh, for a reason, what does it mean? Uh, what does it mean to you if, if you have the shooters touch or um, going diving in the numbers of of this trade? Like, oh man, this guy's got to have the shooters touch. Look at these percentages. What does the shooters touch mean to you? Oh wow, that's a deep question. Um, oh wow. To me, it's like uh, as a shooter, like like getting into your shot and making your shot look the same, no matter how you get into your shot. Like having, you know, you're not adjusting. If we're talking numbers, like the way Alec, we can yes, please, <laughs> especially with you, like, yes. Yeah, like like consistency in in your arc depth and in your left right. Like no matter if you're off the dribble, if it's contested, if it's not like obviously if it's contested, you might have to like shoot it higher, but like. Um, on the move, stationary, like the, the more consistent you can be um, in, how, in, in like the way you shoot and how your shot comes out of your hand and the way it hits the rim, um, the better. So that's what I kind of think the shooter's touch is like, like having consistency across the board. Yep, that is, that is a good, probably one of the better ones we've had on this. That's the first answer we've had like that to that question. Yeah. <laughs> I want to hear other answers because I'm I was like, I don't know about that. No, most of the other ones are putting the time in the gym, you know, just getting reps. And so I like, a, uh, I like your answer because it's different than uh, what everybody else says. So that's great. All right. Last one. We'll get you out of here. Um, obviously making the change now and having an opportunity to, to impact more lives, but uh, kind of do your own thing um, and have an impact. And, and I would imagine at some point hoping to kind of leave a legacy. What's the best part about uh, being able to call the shots and, and run a business and, and, and build something essentially from scratch? yeah i love um having the ability to experiment and tinker and um you know figure out what works and what doesn't instead of you know having to submit to a system that you're just you know operating within um you can be experimental and creative um that's something that's been really fun and yeah just just being able to give back in a way um that i was given to as an athlete um has been really fulfilling. So when, yeah, when you talk about legacy, like really if I can leave a positive impact in some small way on every kid that comes to our program, um, that's extremely fulfilling to me. So, yeah. Well, that's great. Brittany, we appreciate you taking some time to chat with us, um, catch up, tell all the um, Iowa stories, teach us, inform us a little bit about the league. Uh, we're super excited about your new venture. We're going to be following along with that journey. Uh, we can't wait to, to continue to see that growth. Um, thanks again for spending some time and uh, sharing your story with us. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me. Um, hope we can keep in touch.
Yeah, as Brian said, Rudy, it was great to great to learn more about you. Uh, excited to watch uh, watch the new company grow, um, and obviously, always great to talk to fellow Panthers. So we appreciate your time.